Hello, and welcome to today's VJ Hemong podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. This podcast series will feature selected sessions from the fifth international workshop on CAR-T, which was held in Scottsdale, Arizona. In this session, you will hear from Loretta Nastapil, Tysel Phillips, and Maziar Shadman, who discuss the latest updates with CAR-T therapy and lymphoma, and further highlight where bispecific antibodies may fit in the treatment landscape. Hi, I'm Loretta Nastapil from the Department of Lymphoma at MD Anderson, and we had a great session here at the IW CAR T-cell therapy program in Scottsdale, Arizona 2023. It's my pleasure to be joined by my colleagues to cover the lymphoma session. So joining me today is Dr. Tysel Phillips from City of Hope, Dr. Major Shadman from uh, Fred Hutch in Seattle. So I'm gonna ask both of you to kind of give me a summary. Uh, Tysel, we'll start with you. Can you kick us off and describe sort of the sessions that we started off today talking about with CAR-T and lymphoma? Yeah, we had a great CAR-T session. Um, I mean, some of the things we discussed are some of the newer CAR-T products uh, that are coming. Uh, so I think Dr. Miklos discussed the CD22 CAR product of uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma uh, that showed great efficacy uh, and similar safety profile than even those who have been prior exposed to CAR CD19 CAR products. So you have a fantastic study uh, looking at CD20 CAR and lymphoma. Can you kind of give us an overview of what you just you covered today? Of course. So we talked about the third generation CD20 CAR uh, product that we have uh, two studies ongoing, one at Fred Hodge and uh, the multi-center study that's currently ongoing in the U.S. And we showed some preliminary data on Waldenstrom and follicular lymphoma from the Fred Hodge study and also some initial results from the multicenter study, and in general, uh, there seems to be the same efficacy and safety profile that we saw with the Fred Hodge study with the multicenter study. So excited to have more patients on the study. Yeah, so these are two uh, studies looking at different targets. We've been talking about CD19 targeting cars for some time. Jeremy Abramson gave us an update on lysocell and second line large cell lymphoma. Uh, we also heard Kieran Jacobson kind of cover an interesting application of axicell and uh, secondary CNS lymphoma. Tysel, you want to kind of highlight what she covered today? Yeah, so uh, again, she looked at axicell in patients with CNS lymphoma. Uh, I believe they originally had planned a study to have a primary uh, CNS lymphoma and also one included with secondary CNS lymphoma. Uh, but the data was encouraging early on, uh, showing the efficacy of, of CAR-T products, uh, showing that the CAR-T cells are actually able to take care of CNS lymphoma. I think as the study matures, we'll get more data and see about durability of response in CNS lymphomas given the, the time of relapse is a bit different than what we see with typical diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. I think it was really encouraging that we don't see worsening safety because these are patients that we get a little bit nervous about in terms of getting them through something where it's CNS-directed therapy. We also heard Michael Jane give us an update on their experience with Brexacel and mantle cell lymphoma, another CD19-directed CAR. Um, What's your takeaway from that session? I think it was a very important presentation, uh, a very nice summary on what we know from the clinical trials with Bruxacel, but also more importantly, a recent publication on the real world experience with Bruxacel. We know that when we gain experience from the clinical trials, it's also important to see what exactly happens in practice. And the, the study showed that mantle cell lymphoma remains an unmet need. Uh, Bruxacel is effective for a number of patients and is currently standard of care. But for example, a report of 9% uh, mortality in the first year after treatment with Bruxacel with uh, a high percentage of those being related to infections um, basically tells us that we need to do more and come up with 
CAR T products that are better tolerated, well, the efficacy remains the same. Uh, also, some very important practical points from that presentation about the timing of using drugs like bendamustine, which is commonly used in uh, mental cell lymphoma, and some important prognostic markers that were described in this study that were not necessarily reported in the clinical trial. So again, highlights the importance of continuing to follow the data even after approvals and generate these important real-world experiences. I think the sort of next wave, per se, in terms of drug development is looking at how can we overcome some of the limitations of the autocars. And one way is to use healthy donor T cells. So I covered a, a preliminary findings from a first in human uh, phase one study where we're looking at using healthy donor T cells with CRISPR gene editing, knocking out the uh, native T cell receptor putting in the CD19-directed CAR, um, but also, interestingly, with CRISPR, it gives you the opportunity to do some more creative gene editing, per se, and so also knocking out the gene that codes for PD-1. So again, very early findings, but uh, efficacy looks pretty interesting. Safety also is quite intriguing with only one grade three. ICANN's it was shortened duration, no grade two or higher CRS. So that study now has finished dose uh, escalation and the expansion is now launching. But that raises now some interesting sort of dilemmas per se. Uh, now that we have these early phase studies that look promising, where do we go next and how do you prioritize pursuing an investigational agent versus an approved standard of care auto C19 car? So how do you handle that? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Um, I think in the situation, especially when we talk about large cell lymphoma, which today we mean we know it's curative with CAR T, auto CAR T therapy. Um, in that situation, it's kind of hard to deprive a patient of a curative treatment if one is available. Uh, but the study that you mentioned again is a quite encouraging, and because it's a, a very shortened uh, time since it's basically an off-the-shelf CAR T product versus the typical vein-to-vein -vein delay we have with auto CAR T, obviously it does improve the uh, uh, the access to these patients because again, access to getting CAR-T on a timely basis is a problem we all still suffer with uh, with the manufacturing issues. So um, I think as we get more experience with these drugs and as obviously the study you presented matures out and we can see some long-term uh, remissions, it may make it a, a, a more plausible debate uh, to actually go to an, an AlloCar, which is an off-the-shelf product versus waiting for the manufacturers for AutoCar. But as of right now, I would still say it would try to prioritize an AutoCar at all possible. Yeah, and I think when I think about uh, drug development with cell therapy, either autologous products targeting different antigens or biospecifics, for example, for cars or allogeneic products, I think there are probably in general three categories that we can think about. Uh, the space after CD19 CAR, so there are unfortunately patients who have either don't respond to autologous CD19 CARs or have disease progression, so that is an unmet need, so any new product could be tested and should be tested at some point at that space. The second category are diseases that are not covered by the current labels. For example, we had a presentation from a retrospective study looking at basically a case series of patients who received uh, commercial CD19-targeted cars for Burkitt lymphoma, and unfortunately, results did not look good. I mean, their rate of complete remissions were low, and they, they were not very lasting. So the second category really go, uh, is going for those, those diseases. For example, your study is a good example of having an allogeneic product going for uh, and aiming it for a disease for which patients may not have the time for waiting for cell production. And Walden's room is another example that was covered with a CD20. 
And the third, when we see high efficacy, let's say in the post-CD19 setting, and maybe at some point we think about maybe competing with CD19 uh, uh, auto cars, and that would be probably the next step. Uh, but definitely there is room for new products in the cell therapy world. And so again, to kind of summarize what we talked about with CAR-T today, we did highlight some of the big changes with moving CD19 into second line with Lysacel. We talked about new antigen targets with CD20, CD22. We looked at those less common lymphoma subtypes like is uh, secondary senesc lymphoma, mantle cell lymphoma. Um, so that now sets the stage for the other sort of competition with T-cell engaging therapy. So where do the bispecific antibodies kind of factor into this equation of um, engaging T-cells for our therapeutic purposes? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very interesting question that we're all struggling with at this point now. I mean, I think that we have to be a bit more nuanced and we look at the diseases we're treating and sort of what we have currently available. Again, uh, with large cell lymphoma, cure with autocar, the bispecific data with glofitimab and epicaritimab, very, very encouraging, but it's still, again, immature. Uh, even though some of the more recent data showing some plateaus to the curve suggest that there is some curative intent there. So very excited to see where those go in the future and if those plateaus are real, then again, we have two curative options and then that gives us more options for this patient population. But we also know that access issues with CAR-T are an issue and referral and if bispecifics do make it to the community, they'll likely be the first choice in those situations. Follicular, mantle cell, I think a bit more nuanced. We're not curing these patients likely with CAR-T. Um, and that situation by specifics, I mean, the data we have is also very impressive. Uh, specifically with MCL patients, the AE profile for at least glofitimab uh, compares very favorably to what we see with brexicaptogene. So, I mean, these are discussions we're gonna have to have about the durability, if they are equivalent, how do we manage the toxicity profile and sort of what's the best first drug to give first and what do we give thereafter, sort of the sequencing discussion. Yeah, I mean, you did a nice discussion of that, of sort of showing where we stand currently with the single arm phase two studies and what information can you sort of garner to try and help you navigate that expanding treatment landscape. But some of the practical aspects is how do you choose? What are the patient-specific characteristics when you may have more than one option? Again, assuming that they're all gonna be shuffling around in terms of how, as these studies emerge. But currently, how, how would you navigate that CAR versus bispecific in that third line space? I think I echo what Dr. Uh, Phillips mentioned. You know. It the, the disease matters. So for large cell lymphoma, assuming that in, in an ideal world we have access to CAR-T immediately, the, the data is more solid and the long-term follow-up and real-world evidence is really in favor of using CAR-T. However, we know that not everyone can get to CAR-T immediately, even, even within academic centers. So uh, I think it is true that maybe the first indication for bispecifics will be a monotherapy indication, but I think very soon we'll have a data showing efficacy and safety of combination therapy with bispecifics. So I think once that's available, we can use bispecifics in sequence of CAR-T either before or after. But at the moment, I think patients, there are patients who are not able to, for example, be away from their home and for, for a few months being in a major center to receive CAR-T. So definitely for those patients, bispecifics are a very important uh, treatment option. Uh, and um, 
patients who may have low disease burden and large cell lymphoma and uh, those who need to wait to, to be able to uh, kind of, uh, for example, travel to those major centers. Um, and of course, in the post-CAR T space, that's another unmet need that uh, bispecifics could be used. Uh, CAR T is now approved in the second line and bispecifics will be available in the third line. So, um, you know, that, that, that would be another distinction between the agents. But I think soon we will have a lot of experience combining by specifics and they may even move to the earlier lines of therapy and we'll just have many options and makes us very busy to study these combinations to see what's the best uh, treatment for patients. And one interesting sort of thing to postulate is as we have a lot more emerging CD20 by specifics that are going to move into earlier lines of therapy, is there going to be more selective pressure to essentially lose that antigen? So there might be a natural progression to then have the CD19 come in at that second line space for patients who are exposed to CD20 by specifics in frontline. But what do we know currently about sort of mechanisms of failure? I know there's a lack of data right now, but can you speculate, Tysela, as to how that may impact efficacy? I mean, I think as you said, we're in a data void area right now. Um, just anecdotally from my own experience, I mean, we have seen loss of CD20 as an escape mechanism. Uh, and then some of, of, of other patients, while they haven't lost CD20, I mean, some of these patients were patients who did not have very good responses to CAR T, so they probably have cold tumors and that these immunotherapies are not very effective. But I agree, unlike CAR-T, we don't really know other than what we've already tested on individual institutions about loss of certain antigens, what's driving the resistance to these bispecific antibodies. I mean, sir, what, how do you approach a patient who's failed a C19 autocar right now? I think that's the question we're all struggling a little bit with. Yeah, so, uh, and unfortunately, these patients uh, commonly are unfit for clinical trials. I think the priority should still be enrollment in clinical trials for these patients, but we know that these patients suffer from many adverse events like cytopenias and sometimes infections, not being fit enough or just being tired of staying in a major academic center and not being ready for another maybe cell therapy approach. So, again, uh, after clinical trial, I think now when bispecifics become available, I think that would be a very important class to consider. I think the challenge is if we are lucky enough to get a remission and the, the studies that with both epcoritumab and glofitumab, you see that the CR rates are pretty similar in patients who are post CAR-T versus uh, CAR-T naive patients. But the question is, do, what do we do with those remissions? I mean, do we uh, continue therapy and hope that those remissions are lasting or in maybe in Selected patients who are good candidates for treatments like allogeneic transplant make that referral. I think at least having that conversation is important, but um, that would be a very difficult decision to make for somebody who's responding to uh, subcutaneous or even intravenous therapy to stop that treatment and move them to allogeneic transplant. So there's a lot to learn in the upcoming months and years. I think uh, we get to benefit from our patients generally doing quite well with just about any therapies we have the pleasure of testing, but it does make it a little bit more challenging as these single arm phase two studies lead to accelerated approval. Again, how do we navigate this quickly evolving treatment landscape? That was a nice summary of the lymphoma session at the IWCAR-T meeting here in Scottsdale uh, this month in April 2023, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and insights. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Humonk and subscribe to VJ Humonk podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. See you next time.